Hello everyone. So this is sexpositivefamilies.com. Eight ideas for keeping the talks fun by Melissa Pintor Carnegie LBSW. Um, contrary to what many of us experienced growing up, talking about topics like sex, bodies, consent, and pleasure doesn't have to be awkward or boring. It can actually be fun. And I promise that you don't have to be a sexuality educator to make it happen. So I'm excited about this personally because this is me preparing for the rest of my life in terms of turning sex negative families into pun intended sex positive families. And I think about how I get to be the person that gives children um, the protection from unwanted and unneeded sexual experiences that I did not receive growing up. Then it says, creating more openness about sexual health topics is a skill that, like all other skills, takes practice. The more you give it a try, the more relaxed and confident you and your child will feel. To help you achieve this, here are eight ideas for keeping talks about sexual health engaging and fun at every stage. So for Talks with Littles, download the Clementine Wants to Know app by Birdhouse Kids Media. In this interactive resource, your child will meet Clementine, a curious kid who learns she's having a new sibling. The app is great for the early talks about bodies, relationships, and reproduction. It allows your child to interact and learn where babies come from, how pregnancy works, the diversity of families, how to take care of a new baby. Cue up a video by Amaze Jr. and join Scoops and Friends to learn things like why bodies are private and what gender is all about. These short, animated, and funny videos will help you build a foundation for sexual health and the trust to keep talking together. Grab some Play-Doh or make your own and use it to sculpt body parts. You can start making parts like eyes, noses, and hands, getting creative talking about how diverse they can develop on every body. Then introduce other parts like vulvas, penises, breasts, testicles, and uteruses. It's a great opportunity to use accurate terms for body parts, explore functions, and build the body literacy that keeps kids informed and safer. For talks with, teen, for talks with tweens, as your tween heads into their puberty journey, Don't underestimate the power of connection as a way to help them feel prepared and supported during the many changes. Play a few rounds of Two Truths and a Lie Puberty Edition. Take some time to think back and come up with two true statements and one false statement related to your own puberty journey in tween years. Share each statement with your tween and see if they can tell which one's really happened and which one is the lie. The quirkier and funnier the memories, the better. It's a powerful opportunity to use use storytelling to strengthen your connection. Watch Everybody Carries a video series made just for tweens. It simulates a modern sex-positive sexuality education classroom taught by two of our favorite educators, Nadine Thornhill and Eva Bloom. With episodes on topics like genitals, digital do's and don'ts, relationships, gender, and pleasure, it's a great way to take the awkwardness out of taboo topics as you learn and laugh together. Check out the fun and funny animated videos by Amaze. 
offering tweens medically accurate, inclusive, and sex-positive education on topics like bodies, consent, healthy relationships, identity, sexual health, online safety, and more. For talks with teens, get curious with Axe Rue, a free chat bot created by Planned Parenthood. Rue is available 24-7 to answer any sex ed question you or your teen may have. Nothing is too awkward or too tough for Rue to answer. It's a great resource to share with your teen so they have access to honest, confidential info, especially if it's on topics they'd rather learn about on their own. Pop some popcorn and watch a show together that will be sure to get you both talking about sexual health and an array of issues relevant to today's teens. Some great ones to start with are Pen15, The Babysitter's Club, Never Have I Ever, and Sex Education. Some of these series may have more intense themes than others, so be sure to head to Common Sense Media for insights, viewer, viewer reviews, and ratings on these shows and more. The goal of keeping talks fun is to create a connection that sends the message that no topic is taboo positions you and positions you as a trusted resource your child feels comfortable talking with about anything. You don't have to make all these ideas happen at once or within a certain time period. Start with one activity and see how it goes. Remember, raising sexually healthy children is about many talks and teachable moments over time, not just one. The more relaxed and honest you are with kids, the more they'll keep coming to you for support along the path. You've got this. So how does all that make me feel? It makes me um, focused on the fact that with children, um, this is the best way to describe how I feel. Children are human beings worth being cared for and loved. Children are not customers to serve for a fee. Children are not problems to be avoided. Children are not people to use and exploit. Children are are not uh, traumatic subjects to traumatically discuss. All children are worth living for and dying for. And it makes me go deeper. Women are not traumatic subjects to traumatically discuss. Women are not people to use and exploit. Women are not problems to be avoided. Women are not customers to serve for a fee. Women are human beings worth being cared for and loved, and women are worth living for and dying for. Men are not traumatic subjects to traumatically discuss. Men are not people to use and exploit. Men are not problems to be avoided. Men are not customers to serve for a fee. Uh, Men are human beings worth being cared for and loved. Men are worth 
living for and dying for. Non-binary adults are not traumatic subjects who traumatically discuss. Non-binary adults are not people to use and exploit. Non-binary adults are not problems to be avoided. Non-binary adults are not customers to serve for a fee. Non-binary adults are human beings worth being cared for and loved. And non-binary adults worth living for and dying for. Then it says, creating consent-conscious holidays by Melissa Pintor at Carnegie LBSW. Growing up, were your boundaries respected by others at family gatherings during the holidays? <sighs> A lot of times, no is my honest answer. This time of year can present many challenges for families when it comes to understanding and respecting boundaries and consent particularly for children who are often expected to look, behave, and interact in ways that are deemed acceptable by traditions that can quickly contradict even the most consent-conscious homes. Let me repeat that again. Particularly for children who are often expected to look, behave, and interact in ways that are deemed acceptable by traditions that can quickly contradict even the most consent-conscious homes. Ooh, that hit home for me. Because during the holidays... I was surviving compound trauma of the heart, mind, body, and soul. During the holidays, I was surviving compound touch trauma, compound taste trauma, compound sight trauma, compound hearing trauma, and compound smell trauma. Then it says, how can parents ensure the consent lessons and teachable moments continue year-round? Here are six ways parents and caregivers can honor consent and bodily autonomy with the young people in their world this and every holiday season and each and every day of every year and every leap year is what I'll add. So let's go. Let kids decide how they wish to interact with others. Before the buzz of the gatherings begin, Talk with your child about the options that are available to acknowledge people in a space. Gestures such as waves, smiles, and simple verbal acknowledgement, it could even be a head nod, can be great options to greet others without involving touch. If hugs or kisses are not desired, other ways to physically connect could be a high five, fist bump, tapping elbows, or a handshake. Either way, you want to make it clear to your child that they get to set their body boundaries and other people should respect them. Likewise, you want to ensure they are prepared to receive the boundaries of others without coercing or overstepping. A great book to help children learn and talk through these concepts is Can I Give You a Squish by Emily Nielsen. Mm. As an adult... I'm teaching myself these things. I never learned this stuff. I grew up in a huggy culture. I had to hug people I didn't even like. And I had to squeeze hug folks that I'd rather not be around. So this is actually therapeutic to my inner child. um, Because even adults need to decide how they wish to interact with others. It's even okay for adults to do waves, smiles, and simple verbal acknowledgement. And even head nods without having touch involved for adults, too. Even adults can say, you know what? I may not be a fan of hugs and kisses, 
but I'll do high five, fist bumps, tapping elbows, or handshakes. Adults can learn from these things too. Adults need to teach their inner child these things as well. And that's what I'm doing openly and publicly. Then it says, um, when children know they have choice and the power to lead how they wish to interact with others, no matter who that person is in their life, they get the chance to practice life skills that support bodily autonomy, safety, and interpersonal communication. If a family member is unwilling to honor the boundaries and consent of a child, this is where a parent needs to step up, address, and advocate for respect on their behalf. If you find yourself unsure of how best to handle those encounters, check out our previous article when adults aren't respecting your child's consent. We're going to do that article next. So I feel like for for myself... Um, it's okay to remove it's okay to block contact information. It's okay to put restraining orders on people. It's okay to block phone numbers, email addresses. It's okay to block social media accounts. It's okay to block cell phone numbers, home numbers, work phone numbers. And if they try to come to your house, it's okay to make sure a police squad car lovingly escorts them out and if that means you have to help out with the prosecution of them do so with pride in your heart Ah. ban them from your property permanently is what I'll say next ask permission before snapping photos if a child is old enough to knowingly pose for a photo they are aware of what of they are aware of what is going on and should be given the opportunity to willingly participate or not in being photographed. This also goes for considering where or with whom to share their photos. If a child is not verbal, it's important to pay attention to and show respect for any body language they exhibit that demonstrates discomfort or desire not to have their photo taken. These elements are great practice for a lifetime ahead of participating in digital imagery and the type of awareness we want to instill in them to have respect for privacy, safety, and consent. Leading in this way also models for them the awareness of others' autonomy that they should respect when they get behind the camera. For me, that helps me to to also learn that it's okay to call 911 immediately. I mean, you got to teach children that. Um... And also, some people prefer to have their memories without photography. Um, And some people don't like the whole, you got to stand and you got to pose and you got to put your arm or elbow on a person's shoulder. You got to be bunched up and smile and you have to be told what to do too much and you have to be physically moved in this position and that position to pose just right. You got to stand there and flash and and you blink and your eyes, you feel blinded and, you know, you got to just picture perfect. Some people hate those things and some of those people hate those things are children and understandably rightfully so. Then it says, keep mealtime pleasurable, not a power struggle. Holiday times often involve an influx of social interactions and a wider variety of foods that children may always have available to them. 
This can contribute to anxious or excited feelings for anyone involved, especially children. So it's better to keep expectations fair and realistic. Let them graze and find pleasure in their food experience and seasonal favorites. Allow them the space to communicate their wants and limits without the use of force, coercion, or conflict. This means steering clear phrases like, come on, one more bite, or but you ate broccoli last time, or you're not leaving the table till you finish your plate. A child knows when they've had enough because their body sends them cues. We want them to grow to trust their body and have it respected by others. So you can even check out YouTube videos on discussions on intuitive eating to learn more about how to make this happen in your home. Ah, man, I'm so glad that I'm overcoming a lot of the old school brainwashing I was taught because... I witnessed these things, and some of those things, and these things actually happened to me too, and I ain't gonna lie. So what I've learned to do is um, reason with children and negotiate with children. When people say, I'm not negotiating with no child, you're not even negotiating with your own inner child because you're disconnected from your inner child. That's why you're incapable of reasoning with your inner child. And plus, children are not lapdogs. Children are persons, right? Children are not animals. They're, they are... Children are not pets. Um, children are not slaves. Uh, children are not indentured servants, okay? And... I hate the old school... Well, adults get served first when it comes to meals that are children... That's wrong. To me, children are served first. Then adults get served. Because for those who are religious, Jesus prioritized children more than he did adults because children are the least of these in our society. He stopped, Jesus stopped his adult disciples from blocking parents to give their babies to him. He put his hands on them with permission. He blessed, he put, he, he lovingly held them with permission and he blessed them and sent them on their way with permission. Um, he lovingly protected the children, the babies. And Jesus often used children for his miracles in the Bible. Something for adults to think about. Then it says, clothes are an opportunity for self-expression, not control. Power struggles can also present themselves when it comes to deciding outfits a child or teen will wear during holiday gatherings. These moments are an opportunity to support a child's self-expression, individual comfort, and bodily autonomy. The earlier we involve children in the process of selecting the clothes they wear and how they like to wear them, the more consistent the message is that their body is theirs and not for others to control or dictate. If a child is old enough to communicate verbally and non-verbally their preferences or needs, they should be involved in the decision about what goes on in their body, whether it's a festive garment, accessory, or a coat, coat or a coat. Talk together ahead of the events about the available options and ideas you both have so it isn't a last-minute stress or unwanted surprise. If the garment is for health or safety reasons, talk that through together and remain affirming to their feelings and ideas. 
Consider how you will involve them in their shopping or selecting of their own clothing so they have clear body into the experience. Remember the clothes they wear are theirs. Our best role is to help them feel safe and confident in them. And if something is bought for or given to a child to wear, then they don't like it. Believe them and explore alternatives together. So, one of the reasons why I value the bodily autonomy and bodily integrity of children is because when I when I was in the streets, I was forced to wear drug dealer type clothing. So. Um, I was forced to wear the kind of flashy attire that could have easily gotten me um, hassled by law enforcement and could have easily gotten me fatally removed from earth by criminals. And um, I'm so glad I'm I'm engaging creative therapeutic healing for myself. Um, This is so rejuvenating to my spirit, my soul, for sure. Children have say-so. Children have a voice. Children are our past, our present, and our future. Mm. It says, we also keep ourselves available versus dismissive. If a child requests an adjustment to something they have, one example, this sweater is itchy or my coat is making me feel hot. Check in and problem-solve situation together. Our tone and body language can influence how our reactions are received. And the more collaborative and patient we are with the communications, the less likely they are to dissolve into conflict or stressful power struggles. Yes. This is truly beneficial, meaningful to me because children's verbal boundaries and nonverbal boundaries are just as important as adult verbal boundaries and adult nonverbal boundaries as well. Let's keep going. A screaming child on Santa's lap is not cute. It's unsafe. We've all seen the photos before of a horrified-looking child sitting on a smiling Santa's lap. Some of us have been that horrified child. What early messages are we sending by forcing a young person onto the lap of or to be near a stranger simply for a photo op? Creating a safer, consent-conscious next generation requires us to reevaluate norms and traditions such as this. If a child loves the idea of sitting on Santa's lap, awesome. Let it be their choice in a moment they can lead in their way and cherish. But if they're a no, then it should not be something they're forced to do. Even if they were a yes at first, but got, got into the situation, suddenly changed their mind, they need to be allowed to do so and respected in their decision. This is how we send consistent messages about consent in their early years. And if they're not verbal, pay attention to respect any cues their body may send while in the company of others. Be prepared to step in if it feels compromised at any point in the interaction. A child's sense of safety and understanding of consent is far more important than a photo op. Yes. This makes me so proud. Um, I'm just daydreaming about the fact that my inner child is leaping for joy. My inner child is shouting hallelujah. My inner child 
is praising, worshiping right now. My inner child is praise dancing right now. My inner child is catching the Holy Ghost. My inner child is speaking in tongues right now. My Christian kidney, as you know. <sighs> then it says, be the kind of home your adult child returns to as their whole selves. Respecting a child's autonomy should be a practice we continue year-round into their adulthood. We remember that the children we raise are not property. They don't owe us for their existence. We are not entitled to their body effects or control of their outcomes. It better allows us to see and respect them as whole and separate humans. If we've done well in creating a safe, supportive home base when they can thrive in their authentic selves as they grow, they'll be more likely to return home on their own accord with loved ones and without dread. That's one measure of truly happy holidays. What are my thoughts? My thoughts are that um, I'm so glad um, that I can talk to other kids about these things because I know my grandma would be pleased. She would definitely be proud. Absolutely. I know her. She would really, really get a kick out of um, these things I'm saying to you because she knows my son that's how she saw me. Is living a life that I get to do. And living a life that her son gets to do. That's how she would interpret my situation. Okay, so here's the next article. Adults aren't respecting your child's consent by Melissa Pinter Carnegie, LPSW. As a parent or caregiver, how do you react when another adult is not respecting your child's consent? When it's clear that your child is uncomfortable or has said no, but the person insists, for example, the grandma who demands a kiss or hug each time when greeting her, the uncle who tickles too roughly for too long, the older cousin that begs for your child to sit on their lap, a stranger reaching in for an uninvited touch. Ooh, if I was there, there'd be a lot of hell to pay legally. And I will definitely keep them away from my child for the rest of their lives. Because what you're not going to do 
is rape culture. My kid, what you're not going to do is be physically violent towards my kid. What you're not going to do is be verbally violent towards my child because I will ghost haunt you. I will enjoy creeping you out and freaking you out every chance I get. You feel trapped, backed into a corner, and I am proud to be the cause of that. <laughs> so sound familiar? If not with your child, you may recognize these as situations that played out within your own upbringing. Yes, they did. Absolutely. If that's the case, you're not alone. Growing up, I was taught that being polite, respectful meant I had to set aside my own comfort and peace in others. I was taught that at the age of five. I learned that I was deserving of stern glares and punishment if I ever dared to refuse affection from my elders. I was taught that same foolishness myself. Being tickled was never an experience I had control within. Uh, count Count me in and vouching for that statement because that was my reality i knew playing that game meant aches to my belly i knew playing that game meant aches to my belly and pleading tears before someone would finally stop Ooh, i can absolutely relate to that that's happened to me and being a mixed child with long curly hair meant i was often placed on display and touched by all kinds of strangers regardless whether i desired it that was a traumatic normalcy for me as well if respect for a child's body sovereignty wasn't model free growing up, it's much harder to replicate as an adult. I too, me too, when it comes to that statement. Experiencing consent violations and a lack of body autonomy in childhood can affect how confident a person feels in speaking up for the consent of a child they're raising. Not having a voice to set boundaries for my own body made it difficult to speak up on behalf of my child's. Mm. Mm. Those words penetrate my heart because that resonates with me. Even when you know that a young person's boundaries should be respected, the act of speaking up to problematic family members, strangers, or other adults can still feel uneasy. It's taken me years of unlearning, sprinkled with a little therapy, receiving new education and lots of practice to find my stride and become the advocate I needed when I was a child. My process boils down to five elements that can help you handle a situation where an adult is not respecting your child's consent. Mm. This is all relevant to me. Because I'm reestablishing my relationship with consent because it was um, scarred by uh, the traumatizers in adult flesh. So... I had to relearn everything regarding 
had to learn healthy hugs, healthy smiles, healthy handshakes, healthy waves, healthy head nods, healthy handshakes, healthy thumbs up, healthy tapping of the elbows, and healthy elbowing, healthy pointing, and um, healthy looking, and, um, healthy high fives, healthy fist bumps. I'm teaching myself all these things as I'm doing this episode with you. It says, address the violator. Just as many adults of today are conditioned to excuse consent violations, many more have been, ena- have been enabled to perpetuate them. For this reason, we can't just assume a person knows better. We've got to address the issue. Speaking up can sound like Julie said, Julie said no. She doesn't want a hug. We are making sure her boundaries are respected. Tickling isn't fun if it's not fun for everyone. Jay is asking you to stop. No more tickles or please ask before touching. Consent is important to our family. Assertive communication is key. If, if it ensures everyone involved is given a context to make a more informed choice moving forward. I am so elated by that because we must protect our children from spiritually blind guides, spiritually blind fools, Vipers, foxes like Herod, whitewashed tombs, vampires, thieves, freeloaders. And hypocrites. <sighs> if it's someone you'd like your child to see as a trusted caregiver, let the person know this. It's important to me that Mariah can see you as a trusted adult in her life. Let me share with you what that means and can look like. I'm happy to answer any questions you have about this. Inviting a caring adult into your child's safety network comes with educating them and providing responsive feedback to better ensure they're able to get it right. Ideally, the boundary-crossing behavior stops there becomes a valuable learning opportunity for another adult. If pride, entitlement, or disrespect are involved, keep reading and keep hearing. Well, all that makes me think that um, lots of folks out here are bad trees bearing bad fruit. They're demonic, they're devilish. They pride themselves on being child perpetrators and child predators and child pimps. Um, They are the type of people that they are of weak commitments. They believe that deception is acceptable. They value strength without feeling. They value happiness at any traumatic cost. They value abuse of power. They value pride and personal independence to the point of extremes. They value pursuing personal needs to the point of torture and torment they believe that they believe in strength without feeling 
And they think it's okay to have personal peace being pursued without concern for the world's chaos. They are the reasons why children are mourning and they are the reasons why children are persecuted. Remember what's in your control. Another's actions, words, personality, body, perspectives are not in your control. Focus on setting the boundary. Don't waste time trying to change a violator or convince any critics of your decision to nurture your child's body autonomy. If someone is failing miserably to behave in a way that feels safe to you or your child, that's information. Make note and move your focus toward next steps that honor your child's consent. Use your energy, time, presence, Use your energy, time, aura, presence, and personality wisely. Um, What does that mean for me? It means that because I care about the children, that I actually have to um, understand the sensory overload of children, overstimulation of children, the psychology of children, the triggers of children, um, and the proper rules that best benefit children. Then it says, talk openly with your child. The most ineffective thing a parent can do is to avoid talking with their child about the issue. It's so important that we prepare them for boundary setting and challenging dynamics by talking before, during, and after situations. Discuss the many ways greetings and affection can be approached. Talk about unsafe touch. Ensure they have clear language for all body parts, especially genitals, as well as the ability to talk openly about their feelings. Pay attention to how your child acts in the presence of others. Don't dismiss what you observe what they express. This could sound like, I noticed when grandma kissed you, you pulled away. How are you feeling in that moment? This is the time they're developing their instincts and you want them to grow to trust them. So you have to demonstrate trust for them as well. Develop the kind of bond that leads to responsive action. Um, That makes the most absolute sense to me. um, Because um, we don't want children to do the Oscars all the time in terms of their behavior. That's why as adults, we can't always be acting. Um, We have to be proactive though in um, role modeling um, wholesome conduct. We should never role model misconduct when it comes to the children. Even with adults, we have to role model healthy behavior with each other too. 
And it says, model healthy boundaries. Be in the habit of prioritizing your boundaries, especially with your kids, listening to and honoring your body, respecting the boundaries of others. The more you practice healthy consent and bodily autonomy for yourself, the more confident and clear you become about the importance of these skills. In other words, don't just talk about it, be about it. That's one of the old school sayings that they say all the time, but a lot of old schoolers in quotations go against that particular form of old school wisdom, sadly speaking. Um, then it says, distance yourself. If you've done all the above and the boundaries still not being respected, create space. This can mean not engaging with the person further, not attending the same events, uninviting them, or even disconnecting from them on social media. Don't hesitate to make it clear to your child or others the reasons why. Often people keep quiet, which doesn't give all parties involved clear context to the true issue and consequences and doesn't allow others to act as supportive allies. Also, keep in mind that ardent consent violators must often violate others. Your actions can be a helpful example to other victims. Confrontations can be difficult, but due diligence means we speak up and advocate on behalf of our children. I am in awe of both of my kids' abilities to say no without apology, expect others to ask for their consent, and to respect the boundaries of others. How different my journey would have been if I had these skills earlier. I say the same thing about my own life. If I would have had people pull me to the side, you know, let me know, hey, we, we can help you to advocate for yourself and we can advocate for you when need be. Oh man, my life would have been so much better. My emotional health would have been healthier. My physical health would have been healthier. My spiritual health would have been healthier. My psychological health would have been healthier. My intellectual health would have been healthier. One final element is holding compassion for yourself. If you find that you miss an opportunity to address the situation in the moment, don't dwell on what should have been. You can always initiate the conversation with your child and the person later and use the time before that to reflect and practice what you wish to say. You may even want to check in with another adult you trust to talk through your next steps and receive support. The more you practice boundary setting and speaking up for your child's rights to consent, the more seasoned and prepared you um, become mm. Mm. that is so uh, beautiful to me because um, I don't have to be imprisoned by what I was forced to miss I was forced to miss out on those life skills but I'm recouping and regaining those life skills and then some. It's never too late. So I'm going to read this whole article and tell you what I think because it's very short. Talking to kids about secrets, privacy, and surprises by Melissa Pinter Carnegie, LBSWCLC. How can we help our children understand the differences, differences between a secret, something that's private, and a surprise? These are, in fact, different terms with often very different outcomes and applied. The ways in which we frame, model, and reinforce these concepts in everyday situations makes all the difference in how our children use them. In the context of sexual health and safety, here is some helpful language to highlight the differences between the three terms. Seekers are often meant to be kept quiet for a long time and to protect something that would make people feel unhappy, unsafe, or hurt. It is not uncommon for young children to playfully whisper to each other or pick up on quiet conversation they observe adults have, which may be labeled as secrets. Are they harmful? Not always. So how can we help them know the difference? You could talk about secrets in the context of safe and unsafe secrets, 
giving examples of unwanted touch, being made to look at pictures or videos that make them feel uncomfortable as examples of unsafe secrets. Let them know that if another person tells them to keep something a secret, especially if the person instructs them not to tell their parents, then it is an unsafe secret and must be shared with a trusted adult. Reassure them that it is always okay for them to break a secret or promise when it involves unsafe touch. Ensure they know that no matter who it involves or how long it has gone on, you will always believe them and do what you can to support their safety. Offer examples or role plays to check for understanding. Read books together like Some Secrets Should Never Be Kept, which can open up the conversation and the door to their curiosities. The more they recognize the difference between safe and unsafe secrets, the easier time they will have applying the concepts in interactions with others. Privacy is about respecting a person's personal space information. It does not have the outcome of hurting or compromising the safety of another person. Helping our children understand privacy often comes up in terms of genitals and confidential family discussions. When they know that genitals like their penis or vulva are kept underneath clothing or underwear when in public, this is an example of privacy. You can explain that not all cultures around the world maintain this kind of privacy, but that American culture or speaking in the context of your particular cultural norms does. Exploring with them in what instances nudity versus privacy are comfortable or permissible in your home or culture can give them the context for understanding how to apply privacy in their lives. This context is, this context is also relevant to private time they may spend exploring or touching their own body. Ensuring that they know that this is a healthy and normal part of being human can reduce the pressure of shame. Privacy can also be discussed in terms of personal information that may be shared between people. Giving examples of when a talk may be private, how they can honor that for someone is another way the concept of privacy can be framed. Surprises are kept quiet temporarily then shared with others for a happier positive result. Encouraging the accurate use of the term surprise versus secret is important and commonly arises in discussions about special events and celebrations like birthdays or gifts. When your home culture keeps consistent language, for example, who bought, we bought a gift for daddy. Let's not tell him about the surprise until his birthday so we can enjoy his happy reaction together. This can help reinforce the time-limited and joyful nature of a surprise versus a secret. Also, encouraging safety around surprises can keep lines clear. For example, unwanted scarring or startling of children within the context of a surprise can create a negative or unsafe correlation. It's best to keep their understanding of surprises as positive, comfortable, and safe. Make it a habit in your home culture to opt for privacy and surprises over secrets. And when secrets happen, be sure that they know if it's a safe or unsafe one. Remind them of who the trusted adults are in their lives that they can share information with, even if they are asked to keep a secret by anyone. Let them know that if they ever tell someone about unsafe secrets or touch, and that person does not believe them, that they that they should keep telling other trusted adults until someone believes them. Starting the talks early to make clear these differences can prepare a child for informed choices about the types of communication they have with others and who they can talk to when something feels unsafe or hurtful. Basically, the only thing I can add to it because it's so perfectly written is that some secrets can be traumatic. And you're and you're not even equipped to handle the secret. So we have to teach children who to go to for what's right. So let's say if you're having a medical concern that you want to keep confidential, tell them to go talk to the doctor. Or if I'm having dental problems, but I want to keep that confidential, tell them to go to the dentist. Or 
if I am having trouble fitting clothes, tell them to go to the dressing room area where the people in within that area of a mall, they can keep it confidential in terms of, hey, can you give me the best clo- fit clothes to wear? Can you help me measure my shirt size, my pants size? That's so you can go to to learn how to fit the best clothes. And lastly, you know, people should not turn kids into adults. So grown folk business is never something to introduce to a child. Don't tell them adult secrets. Um, Don't share trauma secrets with a child. Do not. Do not share sexual secrets with a child. Do not share body concerns with a child in terms of your own and, and other adults. Do not show pornography to a child. Do not show adult entertainment of any kind to a child. Don't have sex in the presence of children. Don't masturbate in the presence of children. Don't undress in the presence of children. Don't talk about adult subjects when it comes to children. Those are my only comments. It's now Sex Supplies of Family, Six Strategies for Teaching Children About Consent by Melissa Pinter Carnegie, LBSW, CLC, and Amanda Cooper. Sex educators Melissa Pinter, Pinter Carnegie of Sex Supplies of Families and Amanda Cooper of Let's Talk About Sex at pulled their collective insights to share top tips on introducing consent to children prior to puberty in ways that are both age-appropriate and sex-positive. And they all have to be intellectually appropriate and emotionally appropriate is what I add too. Melissa, and are, uh, Melissa and, and Amanda are both strong proponents of the power of sexual health education in the home as the strongest foundation to support sexual health in youth. Here are six strategies to help you create a culture of consent in your home early. No pretty please, a great way to help your child understand early the concept of no means no is to make a house rule that when someone sets a boundary example says no or stop, there is no negotiating, bargaining, or complaining in response to the boundary. No protesting healthy boundaries is the simpler way to say it. Um, teach members of the house or the apartment that the appropriate response is something like, okay, I respect that. It is also helpful to discuss feelings that can surface when receiving a no or rejection, don't internalize it by the way, which can support emotional intelligence. <laughs> to be most effective, the house rule or the apartment rule has to apply to all members of the home and may have to be reinforced, especially between rivaling siblings till it becomes a habit. My response is keep sibling rivalry out the home because you don't want a Cain and Abel circumstance. Next, prepare for independence from from infancy through toddlerhood regarding our children's care. Though they may not have full language development during these stages, we can prepare them for consensual touch by being vocal about the care we are giving. For example, we can say, I'm going to wipe your vulva now to help you stay clean. One day soon you'll be wiping on your own. Talking through caring touch gets you in the habit of communicating consensually in preparation for the time when your child can take the lead or express clear boundaries. Be prepared to make a healthy transition away from caring for your child's body or taking on tasks for them as they become independent, which can begin as early as age four. 
They may not handle hygiene tasks perfectly, but the practice will build their competence. During the transition period, be sure to ask permission to touch them when assisting and respect their no when they assert it. This reinforces the message that their body is theirs and consent is mandatory. Um, I'm really happy about this because um, it makes me think about my own life where I remember being gang raped in brothels and crack houses in the early days of um, the organized crime world by mostly women brothel workers. And the hand, the rest were a handful of um, men just lounging around the brothels and crack houses, some clients, and there were some men brothel workers too. Um, there, um, so um, that's what happened to me. I've seen, um, there was instances where I was trying to run out of brothels and crack houses. Sometimes I got cornered and trapped and got raped some more. Other times I was able to break free and run away. Other times I was lured back in, didn't even know. And other times I was able to stay away for for a long time. And it was a vicious cycle. I was, I only went to browsing crack houses that um, my, you know, the killer bodyguard team I told you about approved of when they first became in that, uh, you know, around me. By the time I left organized crime, I wasn't going to browse and crack houses anymore because it got too dangerous. And the arrests kept piling up and the batter ramming of browse and crack houses kept happening. Basically, they, they were under siege by um, law enforcement. So, um... And I want to be honest, um, in the browsing crack houses, I did witness um, LGBT court plus prostitution, you know, gay prostitution, um, lesbian prostitution, um, trans prostitution, non-binary prostitution, femme prostitution. Um, but I want to make it clear LGBTQIA plus should not be synonymous with criminality. And most sex workers are decent people. So we should not equate sex workers with pure evil. No. I'm just giving you my experience. Then it says, ask your child for permission. It may be difficult to do this thing as how... um, We live in a world where parents make every single decision for their child, but it's important to give your child a voice. A child needs to know at a young age that they can make decisions for themselves and be heard. Children are meant to be seen, heard, and affirmed. So the whole children are seen or not heard is immoral to say, immoral to think, immoral to feel, and immoral to believe. And it's immoral to do. 
So phrases such as, can I pick you up? Do you want a hug? Is this okay? Can be a great learning tool, especially at such a pivotal point in figuring out their voice and how to use it properly. If as a parent, you're giving your child a hug and they say no, and you continue to do so, this will not only make your child angry, it will teach them that their voice isn't being heard and they can't use it. Showing your child that you respect their decisions will give them more confidence to use it later on in life. Our children will learn what their boundaries matter from how those closest to them react to it. Seeing our children as autonomous human beings with the right to self-determination owners of their bodies and the best are the best ways to support consent culture at home. This means not reacting with laughter, demeaning comments, or dismissive responses when our children assert a boundary. For example, they know best when they've had enough to eat, trust me, they won't starve, or who they are comfortable hugging and kissing. Remember, it's not their job to manage someone else's feelings of rejection. By supporting their boundaries early, we send them the message that they deserve to have them respected no matter what or with whom. Mm. Mm. It also makes me think, growing up in the crime world, that um, there was a waiting room within the brothels and crack houses and uh, I remember just talking with prostitutes in their spare time when they weren't um, servicing clients and I remember they would look at me and I would look at them in the eye and they would just start complimenting me. Sometimes I felt uncomfortable, other times I felt comfortable And when I look back on it, it may have potentially been psychological, emotional manipulation, or they may have been genuine. Um, But I want to make it clear. We should not diminish the majority of sex workers because most sex workers, when they compliment, they truly mean what they say from a good heart. I just wanted to clear that air. And I remember, you know... And I just wanted to say that. um, And how did I take their compliments? I would compliment them. I would express verbal gratitude. That's my flashback in my head. It says, show them the difference between reality and media. In a digital age world, there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there about what sex and consent should look like. For example, there are commercials where consent is basically non-existent. Cue the famous footwear ad from 2014 where a little boy and girl are in a shoe store and the boy downed some liquid courage, assumed punch beverage, but also what a message about alcohol and sexual assault as well, and then proceeds to walk over to, to the girl and kisses her. The end shot shows him giving a thumbs up pose with the tagline, victory is yours. Not only is this is a horrible, deplorable example of what consent is because there was none given at all. This also makes the argument that a form of sexual sexual harassment, even if it was from a child, is some sort of quote-unquote victory. No. It's, if there is something that appears either online or on television that inaccurately displays what consent is, speak up, stand up, take a knee, tell your child that this isn't okay and why, explain to them what consent should look like in that situation, what was wrong with that de- depiction of it it's called mr misdepiction parents get this idea that if they don't if they just don't talk about it they're somehow shooting their children from premature sex but that's not the case you may your silence may push them in the direction of premature sex that's what happened to child me
Then it says your child will at some point in their lives inevitably have sex. Be better you show them the right ways to what consent should look like than see it in a famous footwear advertisement. Uh, yeah, I'm going to just read the whole thing and give you my thoughts. Give your kids alternatives. We all heard this before. All right, time to go. Give your insert family member a hug. Well, if your child says no, that leaves everyone, that leaves everyone with this awkward sort of feeling and silence is what to do next. Instead of that, or worse, forcing your child to give said relative a hug, try suggesting alternatives. Try saying, that's okay. How about we give insert family member a high five or a fist bump or blowing them a kiss? Show them that it's not a punishment to not want to give their family member a hug. Forcing them to do so is not only an abuse of parental power, they're going to think that a hug is now an obligatory form of affection instead of a consensual happy form of affection for all parties involved. People show affection in different ways. Just because your child doesn't want to hug someone doesn't mean they love them any less. Giving your child an option to express their affection and love for someone will make them think that it's okay to not want physical affection and still come across as a loving person without feeling like they've offended somebody, like they've offended someone. Teach every child. No matter the gender identity or abilities of your child, learning the skills of consent play an important role in keeping them safer and more confident with interaction with others. This includes teaching all children accurate names for the genitals and functions of all body types, not just the ones that match the child's gender identity. If we want to prepare our children for sexual health, empathy, and healthy relationships, we must see the value in not siloing or avoiding topics based on our child's gender identity or abilities. Those are all the sex-positive family articles given that I picked out. It makes me think that... um, We have to be mindful that if we're not careful, adults can give children warped versions of sexual intimacy, intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, social intimacy, interpersonal intimacy, environmental intimacy, cultural intimacy, political intimacy, racial intimacy, Reproductive intimacy, romantic intimacy, aesthetic intimacy, crisis intimacy, conflict intimacy, creative intimacy, aesthetic intimacy, unconditional intimacy, experiential intimacy, circumstantial intimacy, recreational intimacy, financial uh, intimacy, spiritual intimacy, academic uh, intimacy, intellectual intimacy, right? Yes. Psychological intimacy. Um, And work intimacy, too. Career intimacy included. And I say that because... If we make children feel like something's wrong with them for not wanting to do what's inappropriate for them, it'll carry on to these types of intimacies when they're adults, which means they'll be totally robbed of all kinds of intimacies because they were taught to be robbed of it when they were children. Um... So... Before I have sex, um, 
me and whoever I'm with, we discuss bills, parenting styles, credit, debt, religion, how to deal with family, what beliefs will be instilled in children, childhood traumas, sexual expectations, partner expectations, financial expectations, family health history, mental health history, bucket list, dream home, careers, education, political views, and whatever else comes to mind because compassionate love alone is not enough. Before I have sex, um, whoever I'm with, here are the questions that we ask each other. I really like you and I'm excited about thinking of you in a sexual way. Do you think of me like that too? What does that look like for you? What's your favorite part of your body and why? What's your favorite part of my body and why? Have you discovered something that you really like sexually? What was it and how did you learn about it? Have you discovered something that you definitely don't like sexually? What was it and how did you learn about it? What sexual activities do you want to engage in? What are some sexual activities you are comfortable engaging in? What do you say or do or think or feel if something starts to not feel good? I want to know what to look for and when I should check in. Sometimes one of us might need a break from being sexual. We might need to stop entirely. What would be good for you in that moment? I want to I want I want you to know that I never expect you to do something sexual that you don't want to do and don't need to do. I won't keep doing something that hurts me or makes me feel badly. How can we How can we help keep that promise to each other? What happens if we break that promise? Have you ever had any bad experiences with sex? Is there something that triggers you or takes you out of feeling good in that moment? What can I do to avoid triggering you? What should I do if you do feel that way? Some people like being held, others don't. What would you like? What words do you like or don't like to use when talking about your body parts and your personality? And more importantly, all things you. I ask this of any person I'm sexual with because being honest and informed is important to me. Have you ever tested positive for an STI, sexually transmitted infections? How are you treated? When was the last time you were tested for STIs? Have you ever tested positive for sexually transmitted diseases, STDs? How are you treated on that? When was the last time you were tested for STDs? What kind of protection do you want to use against STIs and STDs in oral sex? What kind of protection do you want to use against STIs and STDs in penetrative sex? What kinds of protection do you want to use against STIs and STDs in pregnancy during intercourse? Do you have the protection we agreed to use? Are you on birth control? Do you have a latex allergy? Are you thinking of this more as a hookup or or, or a relationship? Do you want to date exclusively? How can we keep each How can we keep each other safe from exposure to STIs and STDs? Would you be willing to tell me if you are sexual with other people? Are you currently seeing anyone else? Can we come to an agreement about not being intoxicated on alcohol and not being super high on drugs while being sexual? How much detail about our experiences are you comfortable with me talking about other people? Can we come to an agreement about not using alcohol or other drugs or being sexual? Are we each comfortable sharing sexy pictures or text or sexting? 
or any kind of virtual audio visual recordings if so what are our what are what are our commitments to each other's privacy can we each promise to tell the other person if we feel hurt or violated by the other person can we each promise to listen to that person take responsibility for any actions that may have caused harm and do you want to keep our sex life private or do or do you have a select few of people that you want to know and if so why and if so why not oh and here are the things i discuss when i date right because so i so in my dating life i ask these questions before we agree to date each other and we feel like we want to date each other feel like we need to date each other for all the right reasons here are the questions we ask each other. What are your finances really like? Do you want children? How would you raise your children if you chose to have children? What about if having children isn't straightforward? What does religion mean to you? What kind of wedding do you really want if you want to get married? And if you don't want to get if you don't want to get married, um what does the concept of partnerships mean to you in that context where do you want to live what does your dream home look like if you wanted to split your finances how if you didn't want to split your finances um how do you go about finances what do you want to save up for how you split the chores if you want to if you don't want to split the chores how do you do laundry um what are your politics um, how do you feel about your sex life? And I said, well, if you don't have a sex life, how do you go about your everyday life? What about each other's family? Do you even want families involved? If so, why? If not so, why not? What do celebrations look like for you? What's your dream holiday? And how important is your career? What will you do with your last name? You want to change your last name? If you what we do with your last names if you want to change your last names if you don't want to change your last names then what does your name mean to you how much alone time do you need what are your non-negotiables do you have a will what do you want to happen when you die how do you feel about pets and what are what are your deal breakers what constitutes cheating who is the most important person in the world to you what does your retirement look like what are your love languages how do you deal with things what do you find difficult to talk about what and what goes on social media for you? I am so thankful that I have these serious conversations before anything serious ever happens in terms of human dating and human sex having regarding my own life. I even asked the question, we even asked each other the questions. um, Do you plan on staying single forever or not? Do you plan on owning pets forever or not? Do you plan on having children do you not plan on having children what are the reasons so that's what we talk about too
Oh, 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 oh,